Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our wrestling podcast. So, without further ado, the following podcast is scheduled for one fall. And today's topic, th- oh, I can't, I can't read the script. Dave's pitching the tent and it's right in front of it. Oh, the, the, oh, th- that's why. The legacy of Arn Anderson. Can you put that thing away before you book some of that out, Dave? <laughs> Recording. <laughs> Welcome to the OWP. This is our wrestling podcast. This is Dave along with Jess. Hi, Dave. And Craig. I'm speaking and this is my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking you our perspective on the world of professional wrestling. No inside sources, no ties to the industry, just stories from the diehards, sharing opinions with you. And now on to our topic today, the legacy of Arn Anderson. Hit us up on Instagram at OWP2019. Click on Linktree. You can find us on several platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Ah, this is the day, guys. This is the Art Anderson Day. This is awesome. I'm really excited. What do you guys say? I think this God, is going to be. I think this is going to be good. I think it's kind of obvious. We probably should have already done it, but uh, but yeah, there's two things in life for people who don't know that get. Dave's penis hard in his 40s. <laughs> one is Kurt Angle and the other one is Arn Anderson, and that's about it. So, and, well, of course, his Man. wife, but we're not, I can't bring his wife into this. We're talking on She'll a pure wrestling upset. standpoint. She, she will get yeah, upset. Exactly. <laughs> Ar- Arn Anderson is so underrated, but Craig, I'm sorry, you go, for, you go ahead. No, I, I, he seems to have a resurgence now um, it, with, with, a, with a great, honest podcast that you can just. Listen every week, hear him ask, um, answer random questions, which seem to be the best thing now, and which is very, very funny, because as a guy who never broke kayfabe, and we always actually used to make fun growing up about Arn Anderson, the fact that he would never um, break it or really talk about the business and would talk about painted faces and beating that guy. He never like let his guard down, and for him to have one of the most interesting podcasts out there right now, it's uh, it's great to see. So, and, and that, But to look back now, there's a lot of people that weren't watching and didn't know him back in 88 and 90s and uh, his bread and butter. So I'm excited to talk about him also. Love him. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, you know, the thing about Arn Anderson, to your point, Kayfabe, uh, he wrote it all the way to the end. And so what the thing about his podcast that is so amazing, what little bit of non-Kayfabe, like the real you get out of him, is like, is it is just, it's juicier than anything that any other insider would ever give you. Right, so I think that's why we love it. Um, I'm definitely gonna get back into it. I've kind of strayed away only because of I hate to say it, COVID. We have not been. I know Craig's been listening to a lot of podcasts, but I think he's the exception. Uh, most of us listen to that stuff under the windshield, right? We go, we get on our long commutes to work, and we put on a podcast. And that was one of the first ones I would select, Sarn Anderson. So I know I got a lot to listen to, um, and I think it's gonna be once I run out of stuff on. You know Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, and not <laughs> to probably... mention even not the podcast, yeah. but bef- before he spent the, a decade or so being a uh, producer for WWE, WWF, and it was John Cena's I think main guy who worked with him on all his matches. So we'll talk about a story career and then a follow up, and always 
he's always making history wherever, wherever he is. Never the typically the loudest guy, but he's always around for a lot of moments. So he's, he's I done think a lot. he has a he has a lot of stories to tell that we haven't even been able to hear about yet. Uh, to your point, Craig, on those on those book matches and those works going into it. So uh, let me try to jump into this quick. Get into the uh, the early days. Martha, uh, Martin Anthony Lundy. Martha. <laughs> Martha. My real name. Well, have a My good night, everybody. I fucked that up. He's like, I heard you call me Martha. <laughs> We're going to have a problem. You and Tosh My are going to meet me. Mom had bad penmanship on my birth certificate. And... <laughs> well... <laughs> That's how that well, happened. Well, did, it didn't go quick on the early days, I, did it? I spent my first 10 Mar- years at schoolyard fights. They kept saying, hey, Martha, hey, Martha, hey, Martha. <laughs> I fought every day. My and, mom's uh, name looks like A's. Give her a break. It, it, made, me, it made me into the man I am today. <sighs> Martin Anthony Lundy was born September 20th, 1958, better known by his ring name, Arn Anderson, he is he's a wrestler, he's an agent, he's an author, retired pro wrestler. He's currently with AEW at the moment, uh, but his real signature days are known as part of the Four Horsemen with uh, Ric Flair and those alliances. And later on, as we talked about, uh, working with John Cena and others uh, as a backstage booker for WWE for several years. Uh, he was also inducted into the Hall of Fame on March 31st of 2012 as a member of the Four Horsemen, which, by the way, why he's not inducted single-handedly is beyond me. Maybe time will will change that story, but it should happen. So that early career, he started in 1982. He was trained by Ted Limpscom, right? Spending much of the year wrestling in various independents. Um, he did some Mid-South wrestling for Bill Watts. He uh, became a member of Ron Fuller's stud stable, um... As Super Olympia, he 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 met and uh, became a you know actually actually met Ric Flair at this time in between eighty two and eighty four, and that's where they kind of began that friendship. He left that company though, enjoyed Mid South Wrestling um, out of Shreveport, and that that stuff was coming to an end during a TV taping. The Junkyard Dog mentioned to Bill Watts that hey, this guy looks a lot like Ole Anderson. Maybe we should make him an Anderson. And uh, Watts called Cornette, and they convinced him to book Lundy at that time. Just As long as the Indian is not up, he can't chop. He needs to get to his feet. And when he does... Look at him. Fist to the head. Drive back. Yeah, so yeah, that that's really how it happened. Like Junkyard Dog uh, was responsible for this. Uh, he worked for Bill Watts, and then thank God for Junkyard Dog. Yeah, one day in the locker room, Junkyard Dog is like, God, he looks like he looks like Ole Anderson, like one of the Anderson brothers, and uh, but he's not. But you know, and, and I guess uh, Watts was getting winding down with Anderson, who was just under his real name at that point in time. And then called Jim Crockett and said, look, I have someone here that could tag with Ole if you're interested. And you could give him the last name Anderson. He looks like an Anderson. So they did. He made the call to Jim Crockett. And Crockett said, yeah, bring him on down. And that's how he ended up in the Crockett promotions uh, early on in his career. And he immediately was an Anderson. So he's not really an Anderson. Um, but for, when you think of an Anderson, you think of Arn this whole time. Like in the, 
growing up, oh, who's a famous Anderson? Well, Arn is, would, like, you know, in wrestling, but he's not. He's not even an Anderson. It's just amazing. Would you agree, Craig, that he, he took the Anderson name further than any other um, real Anderson? Oh, for sure. He's the first one you think of. And, like, not only the Anderson name, but he's, like, I thought someone on Twitter, and I was reading an article in... in in, in researching and getting up to speed on Arn, like he is the epitome of dad strength. Even at um, at 24 years old, he looks like everyone's dad. He he was male pattern baldness. Yeah. And the, the phrase um, dad bod think, is like popular now, but like he had a dad yeah. bod the entire time that I grew up watching him. Like he always had a dad bod. Yeah. Yeah. But he, yeah. I mean, he was, he was always strong. Um, but I, I just, I, I love, yeah, he's dad. Oh, dad. It's my arms <laughs> and, and now at 43 years old, I want at least Arn Anderson's body. Like, oh, I, look yeah. the, I look at the mirror now, Windows I'm like, shoulder. I just want to look like fucking Arn Anderson. Is, 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 is Can I just get to that point? I couldn't I do a spine buster now. <laughs> at, le- at least once. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we'll see what happens after. So he made his way to Crockett and, um, uh, uh, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, and you know, you know, from there he achieved legendary status in the Georgia Mid Atlantic Territories. He was a tag team wrestler. Ole noticed that his style was that no nonsense approach in the ring. He he worked over you know the body throughout the match like Ole did. Um, they agreed to work together. Obviously, they honed his capabilities, and you know they reformed the Minnesota Wrecking Crew with Lundy. They replaced Gene Anderson. Guy, he was he was kind of phasing out, getting a little older, and then um, he was a kayfabe nephew of Ole Anderson. Was kind of how they positioned it, right? And they became a force in the territory. They got the NWA uh, National Tag Team Titles in '85, March of '85, and they defended the titles throughout the year. And they defended those titles even against Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes at that time frame. I never claimed to have the gift of gab that Dusty Rhodes had. I have never claimed to be as handsome a man as Magnum T.A. is. I have never claimed to have that fire and intensity and downright stubbornness that Manny Fernandez has. But the one thing that I do claim to have is to be an Anderson, to be a winner, to have that intensity, to have what it takes, uh, to do what I have to do. God, this is... I can't believe when you think about when this first started, it was a short period of time. We're talking about the Four Horsemen of 85 to 88. I know it gets reformed, but it seems a short period of time before they kind of break off, right? So they formed that new, that loosening alliance with uh, heels like Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair, um, and they began to have common en- enemies, and the Horsemen um, frequently teamed together in six-man, sometimes eight-man tag matches, they inf- interfere with matches. This is how heel tags work, right? Um, and they became a force from the territory. They, you know, they do feuds with like Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA. There's a name for you. The Road Warriors, Rock and Roll Express, um, and then Anderson even saw success as a singles wrestler, and he wins the NWA Television Championship in '86, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't know. Uh, I'm gonna. We'll talk more about his tag glory, but um. That Anderson, I, uh, God, I, I might be forgetting a name here, and if I am, forgive me, but I think I think he's the greatest television champion ever, Arn Anderson. I think that's an easy... I can't think of That's an easy one. thing to say, and he set that standard long before he did his amazing run as a tag team partner for numerous, numerous people um, that we'll get into in this run. 
Um, but yeah, before him and Blanchard, and they they eventually became the standout tag team of the Horsemen, but really him and Ole came in as the tag team, and Flair and Blanchard were the singles guys when they first put the Horsemen together. Blanchard sort of being kind of a carbon copy of Flair, just the suits and, you know, like, was you know, talking about how rich he was, and he likes fine women and fine wine. And Blanchard was kind of like the same as Flair on that, and then him and Ole came in, and they were a dominant tag team, too, that a lot of people forget about. A lot of people automatically go to Tolly and Arn, too. But really, Ole and Arn were uh, not only just as the wrecking crew, but when they first came a part of the Horsemen, they were a big deal. Like, they were a really good tag team. They were known in a lot of the territories, and they were really famous for just stretching the shit out of people in the sense of Ole would really be brutal with people, but Anderson wanted to wrestle. So you were going to have to work when you got in there with them. And that's what any promotion wants, is champions that will make challengers or the people that they put in that position to challenge for the championship in that territory. You really, as a fan, you hated Anderson and Ole because they were dastardly heels, but you knew like, God, if my favorites are going to win, they, they these guys are going to stretch them and they're going to make them work for it. So, and that was the same way behind the scenes. They didn't let their opponents slide. Ole and Arn were really the first like, really solid tag team that I remember of the Horseman group. And then of course it more, you know, Dave will continue on and talk more about it, but that it, it should be known. A lot of people say a lot of things about Ole. He's a grumpy old fuck at this point, but at the same time, like he really, him and Arn were great together. Like, and, and Ole was great on the mic back then. And Arn was quiet, but he was, you know, started the early name early on of the enforcer where he would just be quiet. But when Ole wanted him to get in there, he was a sweep guy. Ole would brutalize him and brawl him to death. And you tag an Anderson and he would get in there and he would just like technically destroy them. And that's kind of their I'm really good at work. Yeah. That was their whole gimmick as a tag team. So it, it, to say I, I need to spotlight them for a second because it's easy to yada yada past Ole's time with Arn, but that's that kind of started it all. The fact that he adopted the last I name think, Anderson, um, you know, started it for him. So, and they were really good. They were really mm -hmm. great together. He was he was privileged to get the name passed to him, and then he put the name past a whole other level. But at the same time, to your point, Jess, he was learning when he was the enforcer and listening to Ole and what he had to say. He got better. Craig, do you agree? Disagree? Yeah. I mean, this was kind of the um, the beginnings of of you could put um, Arn in anything, and he'll he'll serve at whatever role you want of him. Whether it's one half of the tag team champs or different partners, whether he's the guy doing the beatdown, whether he's the guy giving the beatdown, whether he's the guy wrestling a majority of the match, um, whether you want him to be the mouthpiece, or whether he's chasing and winning and and defending the TV title, or he's being the enforcer for Flair. Like he played in so many roles and. So served as so many roles through his, his career and seemingly did every every one of these tasks with a smile on his face and at 110%. And this was, to Jess's point, kind of the beginning of his of his breakout and what kind of probably a better mentor to have than Oli to show him kind of what to do and, and in some ways not what to do with a grouchy old fuck, as Jess said. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree. And then eventually it kind of comes into the growth of his own, right? The Four Horsemen with J.J. Dillon, they serve as the group manager. It wasn't really the Four Horsemen yet, but Anderson had the ability to do interviews um, and further those storylines. And he, he actually improvised an interview, allowed him to coin the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And that's the name. That's that actually, and, and some people do know this, but a Anderson, yes, should be credited with the name Four Horsemen. He came up with it. Yeah. It just improving in an interview one time. Uh, and he said that. Well, the four and then horsemen the, of the apocalypse. Yeah, the four yeah. horsemen stuck. And then all four guys behind the scene were like, that's a really cool name. We should call ourselves that. And uh, so Anderson should be credited with the name, the, the coming up with the name, the four horsemen. 
I don't, you know, just like I didn't walk into that interview planning to say any of that. It, it literally, you know, and a lot of people don't believe it, but most do because it's the absolute truth. It just, you know, it just popped into my head, and I, it was just yeah, born that you day. Always followed him wherever, you know. I mean, weren't too many, weren't too many horsemen groups without him. I don't believe, you know, and that's a moniker of his, you know. And, uh, you know, you talk about him losing the title, the TV title to Dusty in 86 in September. But, and, and that's game. another hot spot, too. Eventually. You know, before we get into the Tully reign, again, he was known for his tag team wrestling, but he was a dominant television champion before he even teamed with Tully. After teaming with Oli, like he had this year span where he was pretty well, yeah, dominant. Yeah, he was, he, was simulta- he was simultaneously the NBA champion and the TV champion. What the fuck was the U.S. pitcher like and the world pit title like if Anderson and Rhodes were the television title program. That's amazing to me. Like that was for the television championship. That's crazy. Like and Rhodes was famous already by this time. And like so sure. for the fact that him and Anderson were feuding over the tag titles, you had Flair as the world champion. You had like uh, uh Blanchard and and I think around this time it was uh, Magnum in like 85 trading the te- the US title, excuse me, back and forth. That's just fucking ridiculous talent everywhere. Like I mean, the, the people know the television championship from the dying days of WCW. The TV championship back here in the early to mid um, uh, 80s was a very important title to show. By example, Anderson feuding with Rhodes for the TV title. That's amazing to me. Like, that's crazy. What If that was the third top title in the company, imagine the first two. Like, you had Flair and you had Blanchard, like I said, and, and, and uh, Magnum. And Rhodes would jump up and down and challenge for the world title. And it's like, what an amazing time, like in the 80s. When people, when people don't give that period respect of the NWA and the Crockett promotion, at least their area of the NWA, like, man, you're missing out on some fucking great shit. Like for the TV title, yeah. Rhodes and fucking Anderson. Okay, sign me up. Look, look, look it up. By the way, it's all it's it's all in the network. I'm sure um, you're gonna find some fabulous matches just buried in there that people don't even think about. Great ring work, great storytelling. Um, this is what got a lot of people hooked and pushed on to uh, bigger promotions. Sorry, Greg, Growing ahead. up in California, we didn't see a lot of this era. It, we saw it in the magazines that we bought on the newsstand, that the, the wrestlers in PWIs, PWI. But it wasn't a weekly show that we saw. And when we got like the first exposure to it, getting some VHS tapes of of that kind of stuff, we were lucky to get it. And that was, that was my first kind of experience in, in this kind of rain and, and seeing the blood of the more realistic kind of violence of the NWA. But, um, mine was Joe. He, they had cable. And so so if you didn't have cable, when Joe first met me, Joe was like, Oh, you like wrestling too. And I just only knew WWF. And Joe was like, Oh, I watch NWA too. My favorite wrestler is Ric Flair. And I was like, well, I see him in all the magazines. And so I went to Joe's house when we, I think we were in junior high and he showed me one of the NWA shows, one of the Crockett shows. And he had tapes and stuff. And I was like, Holy shit. Like you got to see everyone that I had seen in the magazines, like the road warriors Rhodes, uh, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. I got to see him finally. And I was like, Holy shit. There's this whole other like world like than the wwf that i yeah. grew up on which obviously was cool enough for me to get hooked on but like that now i'm seeing this whole different world and like craig said we kind of feel like but we were behind the eight ball like we were the the late starters on that because they you know if you were in those territories or in those local markets people grew up on that shit what a time what a time yeah no they're watching that shit forever yeah absolutely and then there comes a time frame where he finally starts to team up with tully in 87 to 88 uh, you know, they they get in some high profile angles as the horsemen, but uh 
Blanchard began to uh, regularly uh, compete as a tag team, and he rose he rose up quickly through those ranks. And then they faced up against the Rock and Roll Express for the World Tag Team Titles NWA in '87. They were victorious there. They would um, they would basically you know get some dominance in the company. Uh, Lex Luger was the reigning NWA US champion. Ric Flair spent most of '87 as the heavyweight champion, even though he lost it to Garvin in September, but he would get it back. You know, Ric Flair was losing it and gaining it right back because he's that heel champion, which is far harder than it seems to be, which is why Flair has so many title reigns. Um, that's a whole other story for a whole other well, time. And Arn, this is um, where Arn kind of became just as important as Flair and the Horseman because Ole ended up leaving, um, and then they put Luger in there for a while <laughs> to help make Luger. So it was, that's really when Anderson started teaming with Blanchard because Blanchard already had his U.S. title run and and Magnum kind of came out ahead of their feud. So Blanchard was still, uh, I, I want to say Blanchard held the TV title for a while too. They were all interchanging it. That's how great they all were. And uh, then that's when they got Luger in there. So Rick was heavyweight champion. Luger was like going to be the U.S. champion. And then Blanchard and Anderson found each other. And then they, like Dave said, they won the NWA championship, which was the big deal, the big one. And then now you have the stable, which lost one of their original members, but now they're stronger than ever. Uh, not because I think Luger was the best fit, but just because it was all working. Like those guys, Blanchard, Anderson, and Flair were responsible for so much of po- the positive, um, not not just the match quality, but like making some of the guys. Uh, you know, back then like we'll get into Sting, we'll get into uh, some of the, and Luger. Just putting Luger with them. I mean, how could you not learn something? That big idiot. Like, how could you not learn something? Like, well, the- you have to want to. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, 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 and just to describe it quick for maybe some of those fans that don't understand the NWA Championship in any realm, whether it's TV or heavyweight or tag team. Uh, in some ways, you can argue it's even bigger than the WWF Championship because this was this was the finalization of any territory nationwide. If you were an NWA champion, you were regarded as one of the best in probably the world. Like, re- like and I'm not talking like the world on television where someone deemed you that, where one person deemed you that, which is Vince McMahon. This was a big deal. If you if you were slated to own these championships and carry them around you were probably legitly one of the best workers in the world. I'm not sure if people get that. When we say NWA, they're like, what's that? So what? Does that make sense? Was, wasn't that WCW? I'm like, no, it was so much different than WCW, like before people's... It's not the same. It's not the same. NWA was a... Yeah. It was a collection of all the territories. If someone came to your town and it was the NWA champion, they were the champion of every territory. In the in the country and probably the world, right? Yeah, and that's I mean, and that and that's what made WWF more important in the sense of that's how strong Vince got, where he took one promotion and kind of just kind of spanked them all. But back here in the early eighties to mid eighties, it was important. Like they were the serious side mm-hmm. of it. You know, Vince was bubblegum and cartoony, whereas if you were on the NWA, you were a wrestler's wrestler, and that's what you went there for. And it was more physical and and. On a larger scale, I think it's what Paul Heyman wanted ECW to be in the mid-90s was what the NWA Crockett promotions were. Flair's chops were real sounding and because they were and you would see the bruises on the guy's chest and you know Anderson and them were such good technicians that you were like oh my god like these guys they're heels but they're scary because they're really good at what they do and then you add other guys like Sting and them which which also wrestle a physical style even Rhodes being as showy as he was with his with his charisma was still very snug in there 
And that was the nature. Mm-hmm. These guys worked hard. They worked hard every fucking day. And Flair will tell you all day that they partied just as hard too. But um, but like, oh, but yeah. they worked their ass off and they made people earn it. So it wasn't just a name they were living off of. It was like, oh no, when I get in the ring with you, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you in a in a you know professional wrestling way. But I'm gonna beat the shit out yeah. of you. And those guys, they knew that. So they knew like being champions, being on top. We have to be that way because we're going to have young guys that are going to come at us hard trying to impress us with their moves trying to look good you know do it. so we have to be right there with them either controlling the match or teaching them or something and it was a clinic every night and and anderson was a major part of all of that and flair obviously was the loudest of the group and the most flamboyant of course got the most attention but anderson and and blanchard here you know this tag work that they put in against the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, Luger and Wyndham um, was just fucking, I can't, every match was fantastic. Everyone, the Road Warriors, every match was fantastic. They knew how to work with every different style. Um, and that's a testament to Anderson and Blanchard. But, I mean, that's that's hard to do. You know, you go Anderson, successful TV champion already up to this point. Blanchard, TV champion and U.S. champion. And then, oh yeah, for shits and giggles, let's form a team. And then they're a dominant team that wins the tag titles, that believably carries the tag team titles, that gets in there with the Midnight Express, the Rock and Roll Express, teams that have been working longer than they had as a team, and they got in there and they were just as good. It doesn't get any better than than this pairing, uh, Anderson and Blanchard, and this time period. It doesn't, as far as in-ring work is concerned. It really was amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, the World Tag Team Champions, Iron Anderson, Tully Blanchard, with their manager, J.J. Dillon. David Crockett, when you go into a civil war, you don't go in a civil war looking over your shoulder. You don't go into it demented, screaming, hollering, off the wall like Kevin Sullivan. You go in with a clear, cool, calm, collected head. Because any athlete, I don't care what sports you name, never competes 46 straight days at top-level competition. And the only way to come out of it with your health, with your life, and going in with the gold, the only way to come out with the gold is to use that same level-headed philosophy that we live 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Yeah, I mean, imagining in 87 and 88 doing the loops of the Carolinas and Georgia and all around there and sometimes bigger markets like Chicago and those kind of things, you would see you'd have an amazing 20-minute match with uh, with Blanchard and Anderson and, as Jess said, Road Warriors, Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, the, the biggest faces of their time, and then you'd see probably another half an hour, 40 minutes of flair versus someone uh, with your face chasing him um, for the championship. Yeah. Like, it was just... Uh, it didn't get better than than, than that. And I'm, I'm sad to say I never saw a, a card um, uh, at that era, but it must have been something special. Yeah. Well, and you couldn't see a card because it's on the other side of the country, right? We just right. We couldn't see that. It was east-south, right? right? But, you know, if, if anybody does want to check out something as similar as you possibly can in this time frame, go check out NWA Power on YouTube and you will find yourself into a little bit of a time warp bubble and you'll kind of get back to that. For those oldies but goodies that would like to see that again, you can definitely find some good stuff there. I talked about that on our Christmas Wish episode. Um, if you want to find stuff like that, it's out there. You can get it. I think. Um, I think without all the without all the drama and the bells and whistles, if you're tired of it, you're tired of you know the WWE doing their over the top rope making movies, yeah. and then you're tired of AEW trying to copy them. Um, 
I think you gotta, like mi- you minute for out. minute, there's not a better wrestling product on TV right now than than NWA, in my opinion. Like that's just NWA yeah. power is phenomenal. Yeah, I, I I hope they get a boost somewhere, some way. Um, I know it's harder because people maybe people want the flash and the flare, but if you want good old fashioned beat 'em up wrestling, getting some Irish whips in all day long, um, it's not even doing it justice. But they do some amazing work in there, and they do it with a crowd of less than two hundred on uh, on YouTube. And it, in my opinion, it's phenomenal because they record it start to finish. There's no retakes. There's no horseshit promos. They do the promos, but they do it live. Fuck it, we'll do it live, right? And I, I think it's, I think it's great. I'm sorry, I don't want to go too far off it. But speaking of over the top, uh, we'll get into the World Wrestling Federation from '88 to '89. Anderson and Blanchard actually left the company of Crockett to join Vince McMahon in his famous World Wrestling Federation (WWF). Mainly time. because Crockett was a shit show. They, they. They realized one day they woke up and they were like, oh, we're making a lot of money, but we're losing more than we're making. Um, and it's because it was a poor business model. They were trying to keep up blow for blow with Vince at this point where there was pay-per-view. Yeah, and Vince just Vince had a vision and, and knew how to take his company national, knew how to use the pay-per-view uh, you know, tool to his advantage. Well, he knew pay-per-view and, and he knew network. Yeah, and he just and really... wasn't comparing to he, network. Yeah, he had time, a big right? vision on what t- how TV is going to launch my product and how pay-per-view is going to launch my product. And Crockett tried to keep up with them. They just couldn't. So they ended up selling to Turner at this time. Time when they eventually became WCW. So at that time, of course, Anderson and Blanchard started having issues with their pay because they were getting paid one thing with Crockett. And then once Crockett pretty much is like, yeah, we're going to have to sell and you're probably going to, your contracts are going to change and this and that. Anderson and Blanchard are like, yeah, we don't really want a part of this right now. So this is the best time for us to call Vince and see if he's got a use for us. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> and I think they literally made that call. They're like, yeah, come on down. And um, I think there was a little issues there with Flair. I, I've heard some podcasts, but Flair's like, dude, if go do what you got to do. Like, absolutely. I think Flair's like, it's all about the money, right? And, you know, Flair was always all about that. If you can find a better deal, then you should you should go into business. Flair wanted to that. go, and he was very close to going in '88. Um, but the problem was, is with the sale from the Crockett's to Turner. Turner was such, Ted Turner was such a big fan of wrestling because obviously the, the Crockett promotion especially did big ratings on TBS all throughout the years, and it really helped Turner develop his channel. Um, Turner said, I, I am not going to offer you as much money if, if this package doesn't come with Rick because he was a big Ric Flair fan. So that was one of the reasons why Flair stayed. He's like, go, you guys go, but Turner, Smart Turner wants me to be a part of this promotion <laughs> and it won't be like, we're, I'll get tons of money. Turner's going to pay me a lot of money if I stay and help this sale go through, which he did. And for better or for worse, that's what Flair did at the time. So Flair, actually, there was talk about him going to Vince in 88. That was actually going to happen. They were going to all jump yep. together, all three of them. And uh, and But it just didn't end up happening with Flair. He stayed behind because he knew at the time the money would be way greater for him. And Blanchard and Anderson left what they thought would be greener pastures. Well, in some ways it was. I mean... They quickly rise to the tag team ranks, and they actually beat Demolition on July of '89. Uh, they won those titles for as the Brainbusters, which is a big. Ta- I love the Brainbusters tag team, and they had Even the name. They had great. Heenan as their manager. In let me say that the thing is, is like 
Vince had blinders on a lot. I, he knew who these people were. Obviously, he knew who Anderson and Blanchard were. But the thing is, is God damn it, they cut amazing promos every single fucking week in the Crockett territory on TBS. They were always fucking cutting promos, Blanchard and Anderson. And then they prove in the ring. Right and then after, Vince yeah. had no confidence in them and, and did vanilla them to death when they came over and then said, well, we need Bobby to be your mouthpiece, you know, because they can't talk. And Why? So you don't. It was crazy. It just showed you. Well, it was two things that Vince did have blinders on, but Vince didn't give a fuck. Like he just didn't care who you were. You're Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I know who you are. You weren't polka dots. Get used to that shit. Polka dots. Get used to that shit. And that's just I mean, you know even, for for good or bad. You do admire that about Vince, but then you look back and go, "You fucking idiot!" Like look at what you had. <laughs> but Vince is like. Yeah, because he's the brain. I mean, then the name alone is Brain Busters. It's for it was named after Bobby Heenan. It's not for them, and it had showed no respect to yeah to, to where they where they came from. And to to watch a promo of Heenan starting look out humanoids, and then to give only Arn like a little soundbite at the end of the promo, and then kick to Tully, and then uh, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah, after their um, each one could cut a five minute promo in their sleep on you 100%. know on TBS, and yeah, you get over here, and it's just you're in a different world, like, and it's. I respect Vince for that because he never lost his sight. But at the same time, as wrestling fans and the fact that we're talking about Anderson right now, we're like, what were you fucking... Look at what you had. You had two of the biggest heels in wrestling separately or a tag team. And they're great in there. You could put them with anybody. Um, Blanchard against Savage, anybody? I don't know. Uh, you know what I mean? Anderson, a heel against Hogan? Okay. Like, any, any day of the week. Like, you know, uh, Anderson against the Warrior to help the Warrior learn a little bit. Like, I mean, there's so many different things. Santana versus Anderson. Are you shitting me? Santana versus Blanchard. Hmm. Like, I, so many different things that they could have done in could that you, time. Could you imagine? Yeah, Vince, you know like, he was not it, afraid. It looks- he was just like, this is my template. You want to come in as two scoops of vanilla ice cream? Heenan's going to be your fudge. You like that shit? And then, uh, and then that's <laughs> it. But that's it. All that's right, what you dude. get. Then, and, and you're either going to like it or not. And in that small period, like Dave said, they beat Demolition, ended their 478 day reign as tag team champions, which was a big deal. Well, they lost it. Which was a big deal. But man, like, like to Craig's point, it's for, like three months later, it was but over. But you man. had look what you got. You brought over like you brought over the greatest tag team in the world at the time, and two of the greatest singles wrestlers in the world currently at the time and he's like just fucking do what Bobby says just don't bother me and a- apparently what they did fight for though and what I'm glad for was the satin jackets because they they did bring over <laughs> they did bring over the zip the zip up satin you jackets you saw the picture didn't you you saw the picture yeah, so that's fucking fantastic so it's like well we want the jackets <sighs> Bob we're not getting paid as much and we're not going to talk as much let's we want let's, the jackets. let's be real man uh, this, uh, is, this is the era. I need a bowling this is the jacket. era of Hogan <laughs> It's the year of Hogan, and nobody gave a fuck about anything else. I mean, well, no, and that and that was Vince's uh, attitude. You know what I mean? Like he had Savage, he had Hogan. Uh, you know, the Warrior was starting to come up at this point, and he's oh just my like, God. Oh, can you imagine? He's like, these guys are raking me money. Like I don't give a shit. Like you want to come on over? And it was again, I I respect it, and then get mad at Vince at the same at the very same exact time for that because I respect him for being like he treated it as like, yeah, you fucking guys and your Crockett promotions. It was great fun over there at the NWA, wasn't it? Well, now you're in the big time, and now you're this big in a huge ocean. Like, and it's it's. 
whether he, Vince was right or wrong, the illusion that Vince pitched, it worked on people because again, he got dusty. It worked. It worked. On, let's be real. As kids, it worked on us because we didn't understand the talent of those. Not at all. Not at all. I was way too young at that point. I knew who they were, of course, coming over, but like I had no idea, like really, how deep. How deeply talented both that that either one of them could have had an amazing intercontinental championship run or whatever at the time like it would have worked perfect. Just you're in the land of the superheroes yeah. with Vince and he doesn't care. <clears throat> like, but even to your point, Jess, obviously Tully and Arn felt that they were worth more than that. They're like, well, you promised us a lot of things and we don't see that. And Vince is like, well, if you don't agree, you can always go. They said, okay. Where most people would be like, um, no, Vince, it's cool. We'll, we'll do what you say. You know, Arn and Tully were like, e- yeah, cool. We'll leave then. You're good with that? There's very few people that have stood up to Vince, and Arn is one of them, right? I know Tully, te- uh, quote unquote, tested positive for some cocaine and other issues. And, um, you know, he was supposed to return. You know, that's all, that's all another story to tell. We could talk about Blanchard another day, but. Um, At least when they yeah. were with WWF, they did. Back when titles meant something, it meant something. If you were a wrestling purist, and, and I'm not trying to say that I was per se, but I was aware of other promotions, even though I fell in love with WWF, um, it was an achievement. Titles don't mean anything now, so a 20-year-old listening to this podcast right now is like, whatever, titles are blah. But I'm like, no, back here, it meant something. And the fact that they were NWA champions and then they won the WWF tag titles was a big deal. Even though they were downplayed, even though they were vanilla and boring as the Brain Busters because they were, Hina was really the only one allowed to shine, um, the fact that they got the titles put on them, it meant something in the world of pro wrestling. It was still a big deal. And I remember as a fan going, they even if there was a quick trip that they made over here, like it, they won the tag titles, and that's that's a big deal. Yeah. Like they beat Demolition. We got, we, yeah, we got to see him fight Hard Foundation, Bulldogs, Demolition. Oh, yes, God yes. knows how many other great matches. So the Rockers. It, I mean, the Rockers yeah. and them had two out of three fall matches that were tearing the house down in house shows. So underrated, absolutely underrated. <sighs> but it was short. Man. Alas, it was short. I have to take a break between that. But by the way, he goes back to WCW and because of the Blanchard skew, what do you want to call it? He became the uh, television champion again from 89 to 90. Right. So, um, you know, he reforms the horseman and he quickly found success. He wins the television championship um, in January 2nd of 1990. And he remained champion until... God, he, he drops it to Tom Zink. God, that sounds uneventful, doesn't it? Um, and Anderson re- regained that back, though, uh, back in January 14th of 91. And his third reign with the title was considered successful. He held the title for more than five months. He dropped it to Bobby Eaton uh, on May 19th of the same year. I believe so, that was at um, Super Brawl 1 is when Eaton beat him. That was a great, that was a really good match. Another another underrated person that we will talk about more because he becomes a tag partner for Anderson. But uh, Bobby Eaton um, is one of those guys that is an amazing worker. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not trying to be rude, but he's, you know, he's didn't have the greatest physique, Bobby Eaton. Yeah. He uh, really... No body and a mullet. Yeah, really. He had, he had no body and a mullet and no neck. 
but I mean, he was amazing in there. He was amazing. So I do the, his match with Anderson here at Super Bowl one in '91 um, for the TV title. Absolutely worth watching, and it was a cool crowning for Eaton. Eaton ended up going over, and it was a really good pop at the end for Eaton to win. But uh, again, a lot of stuff that Anderson can give you. You know, you want a, a, the yeah. third tier title to mean something. You put it on Anderson, and then you cut a cool storyline like that where you're trying to make Bob Eaton, who was breaking away from the Midnight Express at the time here, and uh, both guys very familiar with each other because they feuded a couple years before as tag teams, so it was perfect. And uh, it was a great match. Go back and watch it. I can't recommend that one enough. It's a cool little cool little watch. This is a mistake. Beautiful Bobby is limping, but he's going up top. Will it be the Alabama That's Jam? Barry Windham. That's Barry Windham and Flying Brian. And it's Alabama, Alabama Jam. Up the we top. got one. We got one, baby. And ladies and gentlemen, we got a new winner to the new champion, WCW World Television Champion, beautiful Bobby. Also underrated for Anderson, I don't know whether he had it at this time, but his theme music in my head is iconic. I love that guitar twang and that yeah. um, his music and his finisher. I mean, the spine buster, I love it to this day. Like to see him come back and do it once in a blue moon, the, the pops of the spine, he still does it. It's still powerful and impactful, and I still pop every single time I see it. So I made fun of the satin jackets before, but holy shit, there is theme music, gets your heart racing, and the spine buster is phenomenal. He would literally, yeah, like, he was like a tortoise. Like, he would just come, <laughs> he would come down to the ring and just be, like, taking his jacket off all slow. And he's like, I'm going to fuck you up. And you probably were going to get fucked up. And, like, that was just Anderson. Like, you knew that shit was coming, the slow unzip of his jacket. And he would do the cutthroat thing with his thumb, you know? And, like, it was just, like, all slow and deliberate. But then when he'd get in there, and, yeah, the spine buster and another unnoted move of his was the goddamn DDT because Jake Roberts was famous for it because, obviously, he's part of WWF and Vince can market anything. DDT was such a big part of Jake's repertoire. But any wrestling fan knew that, like, if somebody said, who has the greatest DDT, they would be like, well, everyone else is going to say Jake. And Jake's is, is very good, but um, fucking Orn Anderson will knock you out with the DDT. And the, the Spine Buster and the DDT, I don't know if you get two cooler moves that Anderson had. I mean, really, like, his move repertoire was awesome. When the Spine Buster came out of nowhere, he could use that as a finisher, or it would just pop the crowd, and then he would hit you with the DDT, and, like, that would also put your lights out, too. Two amazing moves that he had. It, it it literally enforces the name enforcer, does it not? I mean, <laughs> those, those moves. So, unfortunately, the Horsemen disband again because Flair and Vicious, they go on to WWF, and Barry Wynn actually turns face. So that brings on World Tag Team uh, Championship hopes for Arn, and he forms a tag team with Larry Zbysko, right? They call themselves the Enforcers. That's pretty cool. And they compete for several months. They move up in the ranks. And then eventually they do win those WCW tag titles. This is where the NWA was moving away from WCW. And that was uh, lost to, um, gosh, who did they lose those to, Jess? Uh, Steamboat and Rhodes. 
Oh, so yeah, they won. They won the tag team titles in, in a tournament, them, and then they won them back. No, they right? won it in a tournament, and then uh, they found themselves feuding with Dustin Rhodes. And then Dustin Rhodes said, "Well, I have a mystery partner. Do you accept my challenge?" And they're like, "I do." And uh, and then so Ricky, <laughs> and do. then Ricky Steamboat ended up being a surprise partner who returned to the company um, after a stint in WWF. So Steamboat comes back over. Another cool thing that, that we used to be able to see back then that you don't anymore. That hopefully, may, well, you can never even really see it now because there's so much contracts and rest where it's like they have no compete clauses but back here even if they had a no compete clause it was cool they could go and work on the wwf wear out their welcome there and then leave for a couple months and then come back and then they would debut on wcw and they were all brand new again so steamboat did that here and that was a memorable moment as well at a clash of the champions was this the was this the stint where steamboat was the ic champ and had to drop it because yeah, that was no that was the, more time no game. that was the first time that that happened this was after was yeah steamboat time. went back to wwf and was the dragon there it didn't really work out very well and so he came back to WCW here and it was a great moment the crowd went crazy of course it was a good tag match and uh Rhodes and Steamboat would win the tag titles but that was the end of Anderson and uh Zabisco's reign but it wasn't the end of their affiliation Dave because they would uh you know form a form a stable Steamboat in. over the top I don't understand why there was there a tag made there, there was yes, a tag there was. Match. Steamboat is a legal man. He's up on top. Anderson Days. Cross body press. Will he get him now? Yes, he does. We've got new champions. And to your point, Jess, you talked about Bobby Eaton earlier. Uh, Anderson forms a tag team uh, with Bobby Eaton. And, uh, you know, he was known for his time with the Midnight Express, but they're members of Paul E. Dangerously's Dangerous Alliance. Uh, that's Paul Heyman for those of you young bucks that don't understand. Oh, see what I did there? I called them young bucks for you uh, New Japan people out there. They quickly moved up in the tag team division. They were soon a threat to Steamboat and Rhodes. Uh, Anderson Eaton, they won the tag titles in January of, eight, of 92 and defended those titles for four and a half months before losing to the Steiner brothers in May of same So my year. statement on this yeah. real quick is... Mm-hmm. The Horsemen obviously were the Horsemen, and Anderson had always been a huge part. And even after what we're talking about going forward, he's still a part of the Horsemen. But he was part of the Danger- Dangerous Alliance, which is a really cool heel faction in WCW for a short period of time. So that's awesome that not only was he part of the Horsemen, but he was a part of this cool faction. And two of the, I will, I will say it, two of the greatest tag wrestlers ever, Anderson and Bobby, forming a team could have easily been oil and water, but it wasn't. They also formed another great tag team. So in the same breath here, we've already had Anderson with Oli, Anderson with Blanchard, Anderson with Zabisco, Anderson with uh, Eaton. Tag success, tag titles with all of them. It's so amazing that's, to so me. That's interesting. There's only one person in the same formula with all that. It happens to be Mr. Arn. Yeah, the- Anderson. They didn't have a name, did they? They were just Arn Anderson and beautiful yeah, Bobby. Yeah, they were just part of the Dangerous Alliance, and it was Anderson and Bobby. That's all it was. And like they, they had amazing matches with the Steiner brothers. I mean, Steiner brothers were for a topic for another day too. They were great, but uh, but man, like you, you went to work when you faced the Steiner brothers because they were stiff as shit, especially Scott. And uh, and they, but they, Asshole. all of their matches were great. Like all of their matches were really, really good. Again, another period where it's just like Anderson is tearing it up. It just shows you what a great all around wrestler he is. But holy shit, like somebody, somebody has dropped foot for fucking tagging with anybody. Like and it's and it's a, a deal. It's a thing. 
like, you know, it's like, holy shit, man. Like, I remember really being a major fan of Anderson and Eaton back here going, God, like, to me, I was like, they're the next best thing to Blanchard and Anderson. And Blanchard and Anderson were great. And I was like, these guys are awesome. And like Craig said, it's a good point you just brought up. They never wore matching tights, Anderson and, and Bobby. They were just beautiful Bobby and Arn Anderson of the Horseman fame, of the Midnight Express fame. But they just worked and it was awesome and like yeah one of my low-key favorite tag teams was uh anderson and uh, uh eaton and it, more wcw's fault for not even attempting to do that to them it ties some cohesive unit like yeah between the two of them but um and another kind of interesting thing at this point too the dangerous alliance itself i don't know these kids out here today um cell phones used to be so big that they were used as weapons so poly dangerously most a lot of matches ended with um, his his big, huge Generation 1 um, sat phone being used as a weapon. It was like, and he would always pretend like he was talking it on it. It was big, yeah. too. It was huge. He would always pretend like he was... style cell phones. He would always pretend like he was talking on it, too, which it's not a cell phone. Like, and anyone who had a cordless phone in their house knew that if you got, like, six feet away from it, it would get shit service. <laughs> but Paulie Dangerously is in the middle of an arena talking to people on his agent or something. It was ridiculous. It worked fine, yeah, Jess. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I I love I love Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman for all that stuff, phenomenal stuff. We all know it didn't work. It was probably a a, a clay prop for all we know, and someone got hit with it probably every other time in every match on every house show, and it's it's great, you know. You know, Paul Heyman is still in our hearts today, and he's still doing work at this moment. You know, I mean, he was a big part of uh, WrestleMania. <laughs> With zero people in the crowd just this year. So, um, great work by Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously, good stuff. So, by the way, we have a, after they lose to the Santa Rose, we have a Four Horsemen reunion. It's funny how these all go to a year, but this is how it works. So, in May of 93, Anderson and Oli, they rejoin and they reform the Four Horsemen. They introduce Paul Roma as their newest member. He's very athletic. He's very skilled in the ring. I still don't know why people shit on Paul Roma so bad. Someone needs to. I would think that I would think that he would be a natural fit. I really think back here in '93, it was a a flair in his 40s, and he was insecure. And I think WCW wanted them to bring in someone new. Like they were teasing, they were going to bring you know Blanchard back, but Blanchard didn't want to sign because they were actually going to bring Blanchard back instead of Oli, and it was actually going to be the four Mm. of them. It was going to be Roma, Anderson, Blanchard, and Flair. But Blanchard backed out. Oli was just there to rechristen them and didn't plan on staying. He was over the hill anyway at that point. Um, Yeah, he could. So they reformed the four horsemen with only three people, and there was no plan for Roma. It, I'm not. I'm not comparing their talents. Please hear me out before people want to kill me for saying this. But Roma, to me, was the prototype of what Blanchard was back in the '80s, where it's like he could have easily wore the suits and copied the flair, like I am, you know, slick and I love fast women and fast cars or whatever. Roma could have easily carried that, but Roma was kind of a like a harsh prick in the back because he had a chip on his shoulder because he never liked really the way he was treated in WWF. And uh, thought he was worth a lot more. Sure. And uh, and Flair and them just brought him in as like, fine, you want new blood? You want us to try to make this guy? That sounds good. So I don't think Anderson and Flair, I don't I don't want to lump Anderson in with this, but I don't think Flair really opened, uh, opened his arms up for Paul Roma. I don't believe that they really gave a shit. And it was not, an, they, they never, the three of them never meshed outside the ring, which was a huge 
factor of the first horseman working so well, they actually all traveled together and liked each other outside the ring. And they liked each other. But they yeah, liked they pushed each worked. other and they liked each other's work. And and I don't, it wasn't the same, you know, with an aging Flair who was insecure back here, who had just left from I mean, the WWF, coming back to a company that was not the same when he left it. Um, and it was bad when he left it. And so it was just kind of <laughs> yeah, like... that's a whole... Yeah, Whole other, whole it was the whole problem, WCW right? dumpster but, fire here. So that's I thought there was a lot of potential in Roma and being a horseman. To me, and, and it was squandered. Yeah, it was totally yeah. squandered. Quick and because if if you rewind it, and I'm going back to my I'm I'm a douche for power and glory. We'll go back even further. Paul Roma was teaming up with the likes of Jim Powers as a built well below mid card. We're talking prelim status, and was doing some serious work. I mean, we all know Jim Powers. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I knew the guy could work. I was a, I was a fan of Jim Powers. For some reason, they just didn't see him as anything above prelim or mid card. Um, but Roma and Powers were working together, and you know, obviously, they saw something in Roma because they had them split off in a weird faction, had them spew with the Rockers or Roma real quick, and then Roma and Hercules, you know, uh, teamed up and became Power and Glory. Right. So there's a brief stint with Roma and that and they really pushed him for a long time and because they got so over as a heel that's the only reason why they got cut so that brings Paul Roma to WCW which they see all that fanfare and they see something in him I think Paul Roma is a victim of his own success in a lot of ways because Roma had the look and you know between the three of us and even because if he was on today Roma could work does anybody disagree that Roma can't work the guy can work. No, he right? could he could work. He had a great body. Um, and I don't know whether I'm playing revisionist history and I thought I was smarter than I was and I, this is not true. But if I recall correctly, I want to think that when this reveal happened on Flair for the Gold, it was a uh, it was a downer. And I never bought Paul Roma as a horseman Correct. right off the bat. And, and I think it was disappointing immediately from the reveal. Yes, you're right. You're um, right. And that's a great point mm. because but they portrayed it as that, right? I mean, I know, yes. I know they put it on there. They put him on there and they quote unquote made him a horseman. But for all the reasons I said behind the scenes, they were just didn't give a shit about each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it just nobody ever tried like and, and yeah, it's like as fans, I remember watching it absolutely being like Paul Roma. OK. Yeah. And then it, it's what and they did afterwards. So they were talking about Roma you right want to now. talk about the reverse of reveal of Arn Anderson going from the best tag team in the world to. I don't care about what you did before. WCW was certainly willing to take a lower mid-carder and maybe did have some sex with power and glory success and then put him as one of the four horsemen. So it, it, it tell a tale of two companies, really. And, and all this rubbish that we're talking, and again, I know this is all predetermined, right? You know, But at the same time, all this rubbish we're talking... Anderson, they Anderson won still won another tag title with Paul Roma. But. <laughs> right, with Roma, yeah. with Roma, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's where they 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 quickly split. They were and they were seen as a failure by WCW, which just didn't know what they had. You know, it's like I, I guarantee you, if Vince saw that fame and saw that amazing, you know, all that kind of glitch, but you know, you could pay the other side. Vince didn't know what he had with Roman to begin with. He just didn't know. He let him go. So, you know, I I, I find that incredibly interesting. He, he's an anomaly in wrestling at that time frame. I, I could never explain what. It's uh, it's like one of those unsolved mysteries that we could always play, you know, if we had one. But that's that's for another day. See, he's a dummy. He didn't go for the pin. If he'd have gone for the pin, he may have had him. Up top, Anderson is prone. The Renegade taking flight. One, two, three. 
think too here we're getting to the point where the company was changing at such a rate and and the wrestling landscape was so different here in 93 it was downturning and everything i think unfortunately because of the bullshit politics in both companies but wcw mainly here the days of anderson you know now here he's getting into his mid 40s um you know, yeah. I think the days of him influencing, he just wasn't used right, right? I think going forward, this is the thing where it's like, Anderson, we talked about the way he fit in before and how he complimented who he was with before, and it just worked so perfect and all this. And then now we're getting into the whole, everything from now on is awkward and forced and shit. And and not, not Anderson himself, but you know what I mean? Well, like the- well think about it like, like think, think about it like this, right? You know, there was the stud stable, the Forest Reunion, 94 to 97, but like... There's Anderson actually regains the W I'm sorry, the World Television Championship from Johnny B. Bad. He attempts to restore that fame of that television title and he fucking drops it to who? The Renegade. The, the Renegade. Renegade. Dun, 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 Are you kidding me? Which is a total fucking Renegade's theme. B-side copy of the Warrior. What? Um <laughs> and he fused with Flair. What the fuck are you saying, uh, Dave? What are you saying? Yeah, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Oh, because Demolition was just a copy of the Road yeah, Warriors? Yeah, yeah, Shut oh, you up, don't Dave. face paint, Dave, because the <laughs> Warrior did? <laughs> Fucking amateur. Yeah, that's, that's the same thing. Renegade right? yeah. was incredible. He was awesome. He beat Arn Anderson so he for the love of God. Yeah, well, and you know, I would I would classify that as Arn Anderson just being the man like, I'll put him over for you. Exactly, yeah. like just whatever you asked of him. I think he just if that if that's what you if that's what you think's gonna be best, yeah. I'll do it. I think we, if we've learned anything from Anderson, listen to his podcast. It's like just pay the man appropriately, yeah. and he'd be willing to do whatever for his whatever boss you ask. is. He, Renegade. Uh, yeah. So you say you say <laughs> the re, you say, so you say the Renegade's gonna be the next. I, I, I write the whole like thing in my head where Flair comes in the back going, can you, he's all animated. Can you believe they're gonna have you lose to that piece of shit? I tried to talk about him, <laughs> and he's like, well, he's a young guy. <laughs> well, Anything I can do to help him, I think will help, Rick. I, really, it's fine. No, it's not fine. They, Woo, it's not fine. Because Flair's well, probably the exact same. They, they say, well, well, they see a Flair lot of taking his clothes off. Down his boxers, all animated. Bit. Now, now, Rick, it's fine. Every every every, every yeah. animated Rick Flair character He's comes down to him stripping well, down to his renegade boxers. Renegade need. I started out one day. You know, the, they let me be an Anderson. So let the renegade be the renegade. Let me go do this. And then it was a really actual massive pile of shit. Not because of Anderson, but yeah, it was awful. And renegade's like, what's a headlock? <laughs> what? We go oh, wrestle, huh? No. That's, you know what? That is, I'm sorry. He's not lonely. Like, you, know you know what's funny? It's a, it's a, it is a, it's a small size. Hey, Anderson, I get to so beat funny. you tonight. Anderson, I'm gonna beat you. Like it's just ridiculous. Oh well, no, that's true, son. But it comes a big responsibility winning the belt. Hope I'm be champion forever, old man. Oh god, I know Hulk Hogan, old man. I'm sure Renegade was a so really Flair, nice person. We're making him this oh, arrogant no. prick. Here's what we're gonna do, Grandpa. I'm gonna shoulder charge you and some other stuff, and then you're looking at the lights. I'm gonna give you a hip toss and whatnot. And I'm going to beat you for the bell. How about that? Well, okay. Do I do white sparkles or yellow sparkles? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it. I'm sure he's oh, probably the nicest man in the world. I'm trying to. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Oh, I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get back. Any who's old. Um, Renegade the character. Renegade the, not the person. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's all good. 
<sighs> so he and he, meaning Anderson, he feuded with uh, Flair for a while. He is he was assisted by Pillman, Brian, flying Brian Pillman in those efforts. There was a it, that was pretty much a swerve to reunify the Horsemen: Flair, Anderson, Pillman, and a partner to be named later, which was who? Um, Kamala. <laughs> you son Damn it! Sorry, I took a I, I took a like swing. I set you I, up. You're allowed three strikes, I right? I only whiffed once. Oh, Crispin Waugh. <laughs> oh, same thing. Yeah. Yep. It's all the same. And by the way, real so, quick, uh, Loki yeah. uh, stud stable was kind of mm-hmm. cool. That's uh, I'll move on from that. It was cool. Terry yeah, Funk, Buckhouse awesome, Buck, right? and Anderson. All right. Fair enough. Some fucking crazy shit. At the end of the 96, you know that Anderson is basically fighting a lot of wear and tear. He's got some serious neck and spine issues at this point. Um, let's just be real about it. And uh, November 25th of Nit- uh, its edition of Nitro in 96, he fought Luger to a double count out and a quarter final tournament match. It's only WCW for the vacant WCW United States Championship. That's the kind of horseshit you have to deal with that's so complicated that made WCW die right there. Um, he uh, fought Luger to a double countout in the quarterfinal of a tournament and a match for the vacant WCW United States Championship. So, Craig, you're not going to remember did, this, did but I'm going to tell a story about you right now, Craig, and it results in probably <laughs> one of the greatest jokes you've ever told. So we went live to Halloween Havoc in 1996, and on said card, uh, Arn Anderson wrestled Lex Luger. The ending of the match was Anderson legitly in real life was having neck problems. So he needed to take some time to rehab it and figure out what was going on. So at the end of the match, uh, they had Luger uh, hit Anderson on the back several times with a steel chair and Arn Anderson got stretchered out of the arena. Right. So after the pay-per-view, we go out to the bar (laughs) that's right outside (laughs) and Anderson is sitting up there with the bar and, you know, with a bucket of like Coors Light, you know, right in front of him or whatever. And he's drinking away and having a good time. And Chris, I don't know if it was someone that was with us. I think it was our friend Nick that said it. He was like, so funny how, uh, you know, like Anderson got stretchered out tonight. But, you know, seeing him out of character, here he is. And Craig's line was, well, they obviously wheeled him straight out of the arena right to the bar. <laughs> and it was like the perfect, like, the perfect <laughs> line. And it made me laugh so hard. And it's one of my favorite Arn Anderson memories, only because we were like 15 feet away from Arn Anderson on the bar. And then Craig had that quick joke or whatever. And it legitimately was. If you go that's and the, watch the show. That's the info. Miss uh, Betty Boopar, well, right? Yes, and it just showed what kayfabe wasn't anymore in 1996, where it was just like, yeah, like, the wrestlers back in the day would fucking go out to their cars with trench coats over their heads so you couldn't see who it was going in the car, and heels rode with heels, but here in 96, we just see Anderson get stretchered out, and we go back to the bar an hour and a half later, and he's fucking whooping it up on the bar drinking. It was great. Like, it was great. Go ahead and wreck him. Well, he'll yeah. break his back if he That's does. Right. The wreck is after the fact. He's got him Put him down. Put him down. Arn Anderson won't be able to stand much of this. Arn's given up. He's given up. It's over. Luger wins. He's in too much pain. I thought I'd never see it. Arn Anderson gives up. But look, the it's in the middle of the casino. You're coming out of the MGM Grand Garden Arena. You have to cut through the casino. There's no way. So you right. are 13,000 people are walking right past it. Yeah, kind of you, on the all way these out wrestlers are up the on this stage, and and the bar was risen like three feet off the floor. So yeah, it was like on yeah. a platform. It was like look at all these wrestlers that are actually best friends. Look at them. And he was probably two or three deep out of the bucket, yeah. just like minding his own business, like at a table at the bar. Yeah. And I was just like, 
Wait, he was just stretchered out. Yeah. It was funny. You know, obviously, he got stretchered straight from the arena right here to the bar. <laughs> it was great. Hey, that's that's that that's a solid rehab regimen right there, my great. Uh-huh. He's numb it with alcohol. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to stop the podcast Co- there, but it's a great. A couple story. of Coors Lights. It's a great Anderson. Take care of just that. some of the great personal stories you'll get if you subscribe to the OWP. <laughs> We've, we we lived OWP. it, folks. We lived it, fuckers. We don't just read about it. We were yeah. there. We were there. Uh, unfortunately, all great things have to come to an end. We're going to talk about uh, Orange Retirement. You know, in August 25th of 97, on a Monday Nitro, Anderson formally announced his retirement from the ring. This is a fantastic promo. I'm sure we'll play it here. He's surrounded by Flair and horsemen like the name of Michael, uh, Mongol McMichaels, Benoit, and he declared his last official act as the enforcer for the four horsemen. And he offered his spot. And this was so tough. I love this. He this offered it to so Kurt good. Hanning. It, but by the way, Kurt Hanning was doing his own problems. Well, and it was I mean, it was tied into with uh, the next week or the week after the NWO parried it, mm-hmm. which which yeah. it was it was funny. I I don't I know I know, but it was funny. And this is the times that we lived in. You know, DX could do it to their fucking blue in the face, and everyone loves it. But the second Hall, I and I I am a huge critique sometimes of the way Hall and Nash would act and the way Nash especially would act. But um, here it's like, come on, get the fuck over yourself. I know Anderson was upset at the beer references. Uh, not to jump ahead, because the actual speech that Anderson gave retiring was one of the most legendary, not just for Nitro, but it was an amazing speech. Oh, yeah. Can be anything than the enforcer in my best friend's eyes, I'd rather walk away. And for all you people out there that have ever bought a ticket to see Arn Anderson wrestle, whether you love me or you hated me, you and when that bell rang, you got all I had that night. Whether I won, whether I lost, I gave you everything. Uh, but I but had. the parody of the NWO was really fucking funny. It's just if WCW could get their own head out of their ass, they would have realized that that built a lot of heat, and they could have been drawing money for fucking months of like the B Squad NWO versus the Horsemen, and it would have just drawn amazing with Anderson as the manager because he was retiring. You couldn't be there anymore. But they didn't do that anyway. And, and, and yeah. it's not like Anderson could lay out a spinebuster any given moment for that. For those pops. So yeah, so just you know, I, I don't know how much you want to talk about like his agent time in WWF. I'm sure we'll talk about it now. But since his yeah. since his in ring career is I mean, over, um, I mean, it was it was fitting in the sense of not because I don't think he deserved like he deserved a Flair farewell farewell when Flair retired, right? He deserved a Michaels farewell when like when, like when Michaels retired, but. I think that Anderson's big strong point, I think the biggest thing that I take away from his career was that he was not in the in the front. He was there and he was a major pillar and he always held up everybody around him. And I think that the way he went out, he went out with this amazing promo like Dave talked about on Nitro and then he went away and that was it. And like, yeah, Anderson deserved more. Yes, I will never say he doesn't, but I think in a weird way, the way he was in the ring is the way he went out. It was not with a lot of fanfare. It was just like, I'm out, goodbye. Uh, I can't do this anymore. And if I can't be 100%, there's no point in it. And he wasn't even over-emotional about it. He was just pretty factual. Well, this is what I'm dealing with. This is my complications. I tried to get it surgically fixed. I tried to work out in the gym afterwards. I can barely close my left hand. I'm going to, his whole thing, his whole thing was not, I'm going to hurt myself. I think that was on his mind, but he said on his podcast numerous times, I didn't want to hurt somebody else. 
I did not want to pick someone up for a routine move like a body slam and my left arm give out and I drop someone on their head drop and I, I head. hurt them or kill yeah. them because of me. And like that's so him. Unselfish, intelligent, well thought out, everything that he was in the ring. Uh, I do believe that he deserves all the big fireworks and everything because that's what these are the unsung heroes of pro wrestling, the Orn Andersons of the world. But he went out exactly the way he performed, which was yeah. everyone behind the curtain knew how good I was and everybody, you know, understood it. People that were smart to the business got me and understood it. And that's fine. I didn't have to be a Hogan or a Flair or a Savage or a Warrior or a Sting or whatever. I didn't have to be. I just well, I was yeah. me. I made them good. They were good because of me. Like ask it, it was a great summation of kind of what he did in his career. It, it had humility in it. He was putting someone else over. He was great on the mic. Uh, he passed the torch, and he and he also just kind of I think inside the speech he said he, he played himself down something about like parlaying a, a subpar talent into a into a a great career or something to that effect. And you knew the power of it because the man standing behind him was flare in the background, kind of was tears in his eyes the entire time. That's who had the emotion of kind of the whole thing and the visual of Arn's retirement. So as he handed off and asked um Kurt Henning to take a spot. And you can tell it was tough for him and it was just about if he couldn't do it anymore, couldn't provide for the fans. He, he, you know, he couldn't do it. He was talking about the story of the sl- the backslap that he had of someone at the gym when he knew that he just didn't he have it anymore. It was, it really just kind of yeah. holds up and it's powerful uh, and a great little microcosm of who he was in that in that in those four and a half minute kind of goodbye. It was very cool. And I yeah, uh, go ahead, Dave. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just gonna say the the greatest NWA slash WCW television champion there ever was was Arn Anderson. And he's the greatest tag team wrestler I've ever seen. And you could put him in there with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, the Midnight Express were a great team. Yes, the Rock and Roll Express were a great team. Yes, Heart Foundation were a great team. Yes, yes, yes. But Arn Anderson was an, an amazing tag team. The greatest. Like I just said, he was the greatest tag team wrestler well, I've ever seen. He was put with how many partners? And, and I get wrestling. Yeah. They, they, it's fake. They give the titles you- to him. Okay. If you put if you put kayfabe into it and you were a major tag team and Arn was chilling in the back, you would have to greatly consider whether or not you'd be like, should I dump my guy and go get Arn real quick? Not, I mean, as kayfabe goes, he was that good. He could wrestle with anybody and make something happen, make something major happen, right? Just, yeah, he was that good. So I easily give him that crown of greatest TV champion ever and greatest tag team wrestler ever. Like I, I've not seen anybody better who can you can put him in with anybody. How different is Roma from Eaton? How different is Eaton from Zabisco? How different is Blanchard from Zabisco? From Eaton? From you know? It just and he was that good. Like from Oli, you know, even and like he was just that good. Not not dismissing any of the talent that was with him on the other there, side, but he was he was that good that the Brain Bust. I'm sorry, the um, the revival slated their whole tag team uh, persona off of. You can argue it's the Brainbusters, but it's really off. It's of off Arn. of Arn. Yeah, yeah it's off of Arn, and and he influenced them a little bit before he left the company as well, or fired, whatever you want to say. He was, you know, we'll get onto that too. He was an agent for a long time behind the scenes in WWE, and I think that's great. And I think I'm almost positive that anybody yeah. that got a chance to be under his tutelage when he was there learned a lot from him. There's no way. And now he's with AEW, and that's only going to be a coup for them. And, you know, if they're serious about building their behind-the-scenes atmosphere and the, the energy behind yeah. the scenes, Anderson's probably pretty perfect to have back there. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a lot to talk about on that, but not much that people would really get, you know, <laughs> rock hard about, you know. I mean, 
basically from 01 to 05, he's he's becoming a road agent for WWF, which is now WWE. In 02, he appears on television, helping out other management. He pulls apart brawls. He's that guy that, like, who's that? Well, shit, that's Arn Anderson pulling the brawl apart, right? You're like, holy shit, that's, you know, that's Mick Foley. I'm like, not the Mick Foley pulled people apart, but, like, that's that random wrestler that I saw 10 years ago pulling people apart. That was Arn Anderson getting involved quite a bit, right? Um, you know, so he was involved with a lot of matches like that. I mean, you know, he, he basically, yeah. I know we yada yada past some of it, but some of the cool nuggets a little bit later in his career too. Um, his when they tried to revitalize the NWA title, uh, you know, back when in '93 when Flair came back, it was ridiculous. But Barry Windham was NWA champion, and Anderson actually got his first ever World Heavyweight Title match against Barry Windham in 1993 at Slambury, uh, and it's it's a it's a pretty good good work match. You know, it wasn't the greatest I'd ever seen Anderson do, but it was really cool. The ending had a lot of heat. And uh, it was it was a good match between the two. They knew each other very well. That's a, that's noteworthy. Um, also, um, him facing Flair, the first time and only times that he ever fought Rick uh, Fall Brawl '95 in WCW. That match is worth going and watching. It was like it was like it was like 25 30 minutes, and uh, they had a really good match together. He actually goes over on Flair there. So there's a lot of cool stuff. He actually pinned. He's one of the very few people that's ever pinned Hogan. On an episode of Monday Nitro in 9 or 5, like he beat Hogan. He cheated a little bit, but he beat Hogan. He pinned him 1, 2, 3 in the center of the ring. And uh, those are kind of cool. Uh, you know. And Go ahead, Craig. One more. Uh, WrestleMania X8, his spine buster on Undertaker oh my when God. Undertaker was fighting Flair. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, it, and the place went nuts. And Perfection. You had, yeah, you hadn't seen it. It was perfection. a perfect spine buster that he probably hadn't done the spine buster in years. And he just walked in there and did it to the Undertaker real quick at, for a quick, awesome pop spot and put the streak in jeopardy for a second. But it was awesome. Like, yeah, I, I totally, I'm glad you mentioned that. For a second. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a big Anderson yeah. moment. So, I mean, there's been so many things. And, you know, he did kind of manage in 99. I want to say he managed Malenko and Benoit when they were a tag team uh, facing. Was there Was there a spot where Austin pissed on him we did what it says that well i'm looking at the notes here undertaker he would he would later i'm sorry uh i understand would turn heel by helping rick flair and his feud with stone cold steve austin leading to austin k fabian urinating on him. maybe there was a little or skit or something they did on raw or something like that i i want to say maybe yeah i, I, I totally yeah. missed that i'm just saying i'm like did that happen and then <laughs> I, also you know we wouldn't be remiss if we didn't mention the the unfortunate stabbing incident which i know we caught we talked about uh unfortunately at the end of 93 him and sid vicious got in the stabbing incident which led to sid's firing and anderson being suspended for a while but he came back eventually after that but uh but we've talked about that before and you know it's yeah. in our, it's in anderson our it is a big part of anderson's real. career unfortunately you know i'd be again i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that but yeah it's just you know i'm glad we didn't cover it in the main notes going over it because it was nah, a it was a very crazy a, time a, a very crazy event but it's been yeah. it's been heavily documented yeah. on other you know sites and even even in our wrestling it's real in the archives so and he's had various appearances since then from 06 2019 he uh he was on the robert union special in 06 he was rick flesh corner for against mitch and the spirit squad um god there's so many places where he kind of pops in and pops out 
Um, he Slater asked him to be his tag team partner in the turn into into a tournament for the SmackDown tag titles. But then he's like, well, you're not my first choice? Well, fuck you. And then he left, right? Um, and then, uh, obviously, skipping ahead, in 2019, it was reported that Arn Anderson had been fired from the WWE. Uh, it was um, it said he was allowing an intoxicated Alicia Fox to wrestle a match at a WWE live event on February 10th of said year. Um, at StarCast, Anderson said he... He didn't want to be somewhere where he was not wanted, and the hours had become too much. He couldn't say much. He was bound by a non-disclosure. Um, I just I can't see Arn Anderson totally going, oh, you're drunk, then go out there. I can't see him doing that. I think that's, that's a lot of horse shit. I just don't believe it. I think maybe that Alicia was drunk, but he didn't know, but he was responsible. Does that make sense? Yeah. Am I crazy? No, I, mean, I, I think that's really the gist of it. I just, yeah, he, he has a mindset, and I think he fits way better in AEW than he did with WWE. And WWE has been really peddling crap for the last five years anyway. So a lot of the old people that stuck around, of course, they're going to stick out like sore thumbs when they're the critique of the products. You're not pushing my agenda, pal. You're not, you know, whatever. And it is what it is. Like, he's a better fit for AEW. But, uh, but I mean, I said what I, what I feel yeah. about him and what I, you know, what are your final thoughts on him, Craig, as far as just what he meant to you and how, watching him over the years, we've seen a lot of Arn Anderson shit a lot. Yeah, we really have. And he kind of with, with a, a, a quiet um, kind of determination and um, speak softly, carry a big stick kind of guy. Like you can, you get, you get to kind of hear it from his mouth now in his podcast. And, but he didn't really talk about himself a lot through his career um, outside the ring and imagine a guy that was that's tough to um, tough to work backstage in WWE WWF as, as a as a as a an office guy if you're just actually gonna go with um, with ethics and tell the truth and not tout yourself and and just kind of do the job so uh, AEW probably is a better fit for him but his legacy stands he's done it all uh, and it all stands kind of in the ring and on the network and uh, all over the place I just um I don't think there's anyone quite like him, uh, and I think he's someone that uh, everyone should aspire to be kind of in, in life to do anything, not just kind of in the wrestling business. So, Dave, as one of the two people that gets you, uh, you know, I'm saying ready for action, uh, Angle and Anderson, uh, what are your feelings on Arn Anderson? Yeah. We'll cover Angle, I'm sure, one day. <laughs> I I, you know, Arn Anderson is hard to explain to me. I think, um, I think Arn Anderson is the epitome of... Uh, the kind of guy that just goes in, clocks in, does his job, and then get the fucks out. It's just like I, I, I give two fucks about your match. I have my match to run. I, I have my job to do. Even if that job is I have to protect the world champion, that's my job. And that's what I've been signed on to do. And I will do it. Um, and, I, and I think I've gained even more respect and solace for Anderson with his podcast being so humble. I know some people may find that boring. Iron Anderson is incredibly humble. He's like, well, I, I, I don't know what he was paid, but I could tell you that I wasn't paid enough. And at that point, he's like, that's I wasn't fine. trying to bring in someone else's. Yeah, that's fine. That's you fine. pay him what you want, but this is what I deserve. Rick deserved it. And I, I, Arn Anderson would never want to downplay anybody else. It was just about getting what he thought he was worth. Renegade deserved it. <laughs> and, if I, and if I didn't get what I deserved, I'd move on. It's fine. No big deal. You know, um, and it, Arn Anderson, I I really felt if if you went in the room with Arn Anderson, and you crossed him wrong, that Arn Anderson could squeeze you, 
like the likes of of of, of the of the hearts. I'll stab others. you with scissors. I'll stick scissors right in your arm. Well, I'll give it he, a shot. You know, that, that was a bad moment, Craig. I'm I'll give it you. an attempt. I don't know but how I, good. But I'll I really do. felt like Arn Anderson would go in there and lay down. It'll be the best shot. <laughs> <laughs> Like he would lay down a GDT or a power slam, and definitely the spinebuster better than anybody in the business. They argue that Arn Anderson actually invented the spinebuster, yeah. which a lot of people pay homage to. They still won't do today yeah, yeah. because Arn Anderson is that much respected. But I'll tell you right now, if I would rather have someone like Kevin Owens lay out the spinebuster than that goddamn fucking Stone Cold finisher, I'll tell you that much right yeah. now. Jesus, give me a spinebuster, and I'll fuck. I love it forever. People like stuff. I love me some spine busters, and don't don't say Triple H was good at him because I'll have to fucking go to your house and rake your no, eyes out. It's not the same. It's good. Well, I'm just I'm, if you pay me correctly, you can rape my eyes. <laughs> yeah, he he would he would do it. Yeah. So my my, my yeah, thing Triple is, is Arn An- Arn Anderson is the ultimate the ultimate mid Carter. If you and that's not that's not trying to pay him a discompliment. Arn Anderson's the ultimate mid carter, the ultimate worker, the ultimate enforcer. You put Arn Anderson in any match, and I think I think ninety nine percent of people will say, "Well, that's a night off for me. I know he's just going to tell me what to do, and I'll do it, and it's going to be fucking Tom great." Zink and I and used that's to go what to people don't understand. Time, it's fine. Minute draw. I love but, you so much, Dave. Give me a kiss. But that's the thing. Arn Anderson didn't decide the draws. You some huh? bitch. You can blame that on Dusty Rhodes on another podcast. Right here in the top right? of my head. Give me a kiss. Right here in the top of my head. Yeah. Mm. I'm thinking now. We did uh, several 15-minute draws. A lot. <laughs> some shows you yeah, didn't even it, see. It was house shows. <coughs> but that, that's my that's my. But and, yeah, it, and I, we all have great respect for him, too. Just really quick, too. He's been honored by the, Calif- the Cauliflower Alley Club in 2016 as a Lifetime Achievement Award winner. He was put in the WWE Hall of Fame <laughs> in 2012 with the Four Horsemen, not, not as a singles wrestler. I'm sure that will come someday. Um, not as long as he's with AEW, but I'm sure someday that will come. Um, he is a four-time TV champion. Uh, he has won tag team championships with Ole Anderson, Larry Zabisco, Tully Blanchard, Bobby Eaton, uh, Paul Roma. Uh, and also he won a WWF tag team championship with Tully Blanchard as well, going into the enemy territory and winning a title there. Uh, he also, when Pro Wrestling Illustrated meant something back in the day, uh, him and Blanchard were Tag Team of the Year in 1989, and they were also, he was also Tag Team of the Year with Larry Zabisco in 1991. And he was, he was ninth, he was ranked ninth of 500 yeah. best wrestlers in 91. I mean, eight, the first the eight, the top eight were good. Goddamn. A top 10 wrestler in 91 is pretty successful. I don't care who the fuck yeah. you are. All the respect to Jumbo to Sonora. To, uh... <laughs> Tatsumi. All the best to Hulk Hogan that Tatsumi was out filming was also very good. I respect the Hulkster, but he's not even working right now. Uh, I think I would be number eight Greg if Ganya. Hogan was out of Greg it. Greg was another good one. He deserves it. <laughs> Always fed his family. First guy there, last guy to leave. <clears throat> Handshake, look to the eye. Thank you. I think that chicken wing was a that chicken wing was a great maneuver. I don't know if I every night that he would get in his car and he'd be like, Bob Backlund was the best. <laughs> I have to put Sometimes my kids to bed every I got, night. I got great respect for Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund? The zipper stuck yeah. on the satin jacket. I could not get it down. And, <laughs> that said, well, that said to, Ted on it. That said Ted and the Elks Lodge on it and the, and the nice down. shiny whites. 
Remember when Jess would wear his dad's no. jacket for the Elks Lodge? No. <laughs> yes. Uh, and he uh, was Ted Powers, am I right? With the OWF, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. You brought right. me right back to You know it. what he was? He wasn't Ted Anderson. No. He was Ted no, he's Ted Powers. Yeah. Wasn't he Ted Powers? That was Ted Powers. What was that? Or Ted. That's fine. Huh? <laughs> That's fine. Ted Powers was a nice man. I met him several times. I, 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 I had a similar satin jacket <laughs> back when I was part of the Brain Buzzers. But... It was fine. Bobby wanted to talk. I didn't get paid by the word so he could talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what you'd say. I didn't get paid by the syllable. It's fine by me. You the know? went out there and he said what It he was said, all good. I was, yeah. My check didn't change. Between the ropes, I made sure. If he done. wanted, if he had a good idea, I'd let him go with it. <laughs> so it's fine. As always, you can hit us up on Instagram at OWP2019. You can find us on several platforms, including Linktree. I'm sorry, click on Linktree. Find us on several platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. This is, yeah. That's fine. Not everybody. <laughs> the link. Not everybody. That's fine. Find us on. Find us on several platforms. All you gotta do is click on that link tree. What makes you happy? You find- some people like Flair. Some people like Anderson. It doesn't matter what you do. Podcast is just radio without talking. <laughs> <laughs> some people prefer Apple Podcasts. Some people prefer Link Tree. It's fine. Stitcher's good too. Whatever. Whatever floats well, your you boat. Do, you don't have to listen to Spotify if you don't want to. <laughs> He's just so positive like about everything. That's fine. If, if, if you're an oldie like me, YouTube works too. Yeah. You just got to click on the There's an app on your well, phone you can get. It's really easy. I drive a Chevy too. It's I fine. Discover, I discovered that yesterday <laughs> with Conrad. Very nice There's man. nothing wrong with Fords if you can't afford a Chevy. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, a, fine. Pepsi Coke. I'm, I don't I'm, care. Both quench my thirst. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm sure if Hitler was treated better as a baby, he wouldn't have had a World War II. Fine. I, I swear that was possible. Yeah, it's people. He was. I think he was a good boy. Just calm down and talk to each other. It wouldn't be a problem. These people fine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> how good. Uh. All right, get us out of here, Dave, before I keep going forever. All right, man. This is Dave, Justin, cuz with the OW. I'm sorry, Dave, Justin, Craig. God damn it. With the OWP. Have a good one. <laughs>